John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 787.mk0616, certificate number 21086. Mike the Headless Chicken. You may be thinking that Mike the Headless Chicken is a 90s white rap rocker. I love Mike the Headless Chicken. <laughs> I actually played a show with a band called Jimmy's Chicken Shack. They were a very popular East Coast, like Southern Virginia style East Coast sort Ch- of funk. Ch- chicken kind of conveys the down home yeah. nature of their music. A little bit funk band. They were fun. They were very popular out East and I don't think made it much of a dent culturally on the West Coast. I like bands named for food in general. Okay. Give me an example. I can't think of any. The Milk Boys? The, no, the Dead Milkmen. The, is that food to you? You would eat a dead milkman? No, I guess you're right. When the zombies come? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Raspberries. There's, okay. a lot, there's a lot of fruit, isn't That's there? Like apples point. in stereo. Okay. And um, Indie uh, bands. You're like lay, laying out some indie <laughs> truths here. <laughs> the Beatles. Yeah, uh, in the future, yeah, you'll be eating, eating a lot beetles. of bugs or on your. They may be beetles. Crickets. I mean, that's the kind of Buddy Holly and the crickets. People do not mm-hmm. eat Buddy Holly. Although maybe there's molecules of him in that lake still. Uh, you could drink Buddy oh, Holly. Oh, that's terrible. But you could. People eat crickets. Too soon. People, <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> there's no 50-year uh, day the music died uh, moratorium. Uh, has, there, has there ever been a band called the Hamburgers? No, the there must be some meat band turkey. like uh, meat puppets. Is a meat, meat puppet puppets. is meat puppet a food? I would not want to eat a meat puppet. I would only want to eat a meat puppet. Okay. The Red Hot Chili Peppers. There it is. Well done. I'm sure some something futureling. You something you don't want to eat or listen to. <laughs> I'm sure Red Hot Chili Peppers. Some futureling was pounding their tentacle on, on a rock saying, Red Hot Chili Peppers, come on, bro. Do you know what my son's first concert was? Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, he went to see Cake. Oh. At the zoo. You know, they do the summer yeah, concerts yeah. at the zoo. This is now a thing. Cake's a great band. Yeah, but the, isn't that a weird first concert in 2013 or whenever this was? Cake is surprising because they continued to, you know, they had their like sort of heyday hit. I need your arms around me. I need to feel your touch. You could make the mistake of thinking they were a one-hit wonder, but they continued to get just kind of slip songs in all the time. They got a couple of songs on the Sopranos. You know, they were... They they stayed relevant. I have to admit, I I would have I thought they were broken up. No, no, they're still. In fact, uh, John, the lead singer of Cake, is very politically very active in liberal causes. He's always uh, this is the this typical of me uh, to say that he's constantly emailing me trying to get me to join his uh, little cabal. But he is. Why is that typical of you? you, you I'm a name dropper. You know, oh, I'm always talking about all the famous people I know. John it's really, Roderick, uh, please come uh, oh, guest on my song John, and, and so speak popular. at my rally. You're really my best friend. Sign Michael Stipe. <laughs> no, um, it's, it's a disease. I have now Googled this. Meatloaf. Meatloaf, thank you. That's probably the uh, food that looks most like the artist. <laughs> Ouch. No? He has a loaf-like You can make quality. a delicious meal here. Look, I would eat... Bread. 
That's a great band. It's, it's, sure. and, and that's another one where the the kind of the bland nature of the food really sums up kind of the AM golden right. uh, era of the band too. Yacht Rock. Uh, corn. That's something I like to eat but not listen to. That's with a K though. So Do you think that doesn't count? I think corn with a K implies bad corn. So you're also going to say fish and salt and pepper don't count for spelling reasons. Okay. All right. Let, if you made a dish with uh, only of misspelled with corn, <laughs> fish, and salt and pepper, what would it sound like? <laughs> Some of these don't count. Blind melon, that's not a food. Melon is a food. And melons are blind. No, they're not. They have eyes. No, those are potatoes. Yeah. Okay, you're right. Humble pie. Is that a, finally a classic rock band? Is that a, I eat a food? it all the time. <laughs> Crow? <laughs> Cheryl Crow? <laughs> Uh, banana rama again, not really a food. No. How many bananas would you have to eat to, to have say, it be an arama? The banana splits. Does that count as a band? I would count them as a band. Amazing, uh, uh, harmonies. Super influential on me, actually. <laughs> the cranberries. Cranberries. Um. The partridge family. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the first poultry we've, uh, mentioned, That's except right. for again, Jimmy's chicken shack. Chicken shack. How about the Shrimp Shack Shooters? The Shrimp Shack Shooters. Is that what they're called? Is there really a band called that? No. I bet they're Rockabilly. It's the one-hit wonder band from that Tom Hanks movie about the one-hit wonder band. Oh, yeah. They have to go be in a Beach Party-style movie as Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. It's called Do the Right Thing. What's it's called, called? It's called Do the Right Thing. Yeah. yeah. Remember Famous. Tom Hanks is in it and on his knuckles, it says Tom on one hand, it says <laughs> Hanks on the other. And then that's he, his son, Chet Hanks. And then he gets killed by a cop. Uh, it's called That Thing You Do. That Thing You Do, that's right. And the song is by the guy <laughs> from, from the, is it the Stacey's mom band? Oh. Um, is it Founds of Wayne? Founds of Wayne. Is Maybe it? so. Is it? Maybe. It's they were good. The song's incredibly catchy, and they play it in the movie like eight times, so it really has to work. You know, the drummer of Fountains of Wayne played the drums on the first Long Winter's record. Oh, no. I did not know about this cross-pollination name-dropping. John Roderick is my favorite guy of all time. Signed, I just Bono. Pl- I just want to play the drums <laughs> on his record. Signed, the drummer, Bono. Well, now, you you are from hardy American uh, Midwestern stock. Despite my appearance. Yeah, that's right. Despite your I, exotic appearance. <laughs> <laughs> I meant despite my kind of shrimpy Captain Geeky oh. appearance. I'd come from pioneer stock. But pioneer my, stock. But my pioneer ancestors would be ashamed of me because I don't own a hatchet. But were they farmers or were they uh, politicians? What was their job they were on the prairie? Moonshiners. <laughs> Making uh, uh, they were, mellow yellow? What, what were they moonshining? <laughs> they were wheelwrights. They were teetotalers. I don't actually know what they were up to. Um, they I'm didn't, sure, they I'm didn't sure agriculture. When I was a kid, my grandparents, my dad's dad, who had um, you know sold pet food up here in the North, Great Northwest for many years, Tri-Cities and then in Seattle, decided he wanted to go back to the land hmm. and uh, you know the Texas uh, panhandle of his childhood. And they bought 20 acres in Oregon. And so they had uh, effectively a farm, although it was pretty much just usually the neighbor's cows and chickens. Right. But- uh, They did not subsist on it. They did not. They were gentlemen farmers, except for the fact where they didn't farm. Right. They were just gentlemen, basically. Right. But they had one of those big 20-foot satellite dishes out in the backyard. Of course, like any good American So it felt like rural America. (laughs) (laughs) And we could watch scrambled uh, Cinemax (laughs) after dark- but you don't uh, you don't have in your family lore any kind of like butchery related. Well, no, or land that belonged to anyone that you think of as your ancestral farm or your home. I mean, farm. because we would spend summer. My parent, my grandparents owned that place since the seventies, and we would always spend summers there. And I really do think of that as kind of the old farm, but it's an illusion, you know, right. that it doesn't go back in the family annals. But you're that, not Oregonian. But that was where uh, there is a story of my mom's sister visiting. For dinner, and they're eating meatloaf. The the band, the rock star. Yeah, uh-huh. they're eating, <laughs> and they're eating hamburgers or whatever. And everybody but her knows the name of the cow, oh. and, and she gets very upset because she wanted to know the cow personally, or because that that cow had an identity. She feels cow should not be known personally, if you're, or at least it shouldn't be mentioned. You're supposed to. It's you know, it's the meat agreement. You're supposed to pretend it just was never Bessie. Came out of a a box, right? A freezer. 
But I, I assume your connection to the land is more rooted or you would not have asked the question. Oh, well. You have a brag. Dear John, Dear thank John. you for having me on your farm, which has been in your family for 200 years. You're signed, the greatest American. Signed Prince. <laughs> um, well, you know, as a member of the Sons, well, no, I'm sorry, as an aspiring member of the Sons of the American Revolution. See, my mom is a member of the Daughters of the American Revolution, and there is a corresponding group called the Sons of the it American seems Revolution. Fake. It seems like a why isn't there a White History Month thing. The, the Daughters of the American Revolution used to be a major, major social group oh, among sure. white ladies. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the Sons was just kind of a thing. Nobody cared about the Sons. They were just out shooting at tin cans on a fence. Yeah. But they sent me a letter at some point because my mom was a member of their sister organization. We're like, do you want to join the Sons? But it's way too complicated. Do you want to join the SARS? Join the Sons. Maybe their acronym was a problem. Nobody wanted to be a member of SARS. But you know, uh, to for families that have been in America for many centuries, there's often a agricultural. I mean, I, we, we're not New Yorkers, right? We we haven't been living in New York since 1780 and loaning money to other people. We were we were Ohioans. I'm talking about my mother's family. Oh, uh, I think her earliest ancestor to arrive in Ohio was 18 before statehood, 1804. It's still the like Northwest that. Territory. That's right. Then. And so she grew up on a farm that was her grandfather's farm, and he had inherited it from his grandfather. Oh, so it really is a century of uh, not Rodericks, whatever. Uh, no, the Pretties. The Pretties. The Pretty family. And Your I, mom's a pretty woman? She, P-R-I-D-D-Y, pretty. Uh, no, she's no longer a pretty, no. She shucked off that mortal coil and became an, an immortal Roderick. But she's still the, quite striking. Yes. Oh, well, she was a, you know, but she's hardy. Uh, my, you know, my dad always said that. Is she oh, a no. hardy or a pretty? The no, hard, no, did the no. hardies marry the pretties? No, it wasn't my dad that said this. My mom said that my dad married her because she looked like Doris Day. And he had a, he had a crush on Doris Day. And she was like, I had my hair dyed blonde at that point. I looked like Doris Day. And so that's, I think, th I think that's why you feel your mom me. looked like Doris Day? Uh, you know, when you look at an old picture of your mom, it's hard to look at her and say, oh, she was pretty or beautiful. You can just, all you can see is your mom. So I don't know. I'm unqualified to say whether my mom. I remember my dad getting annoyed when I said, uh, isn't your mom pretty? And I was like, you know, and he was very mad because yeah. you know, what an awful thing to say. Yeah. But it's your mom. Your mom's not pretty or your mom's nothing. Like, your mom's your mom. Oh, my mom is so hot. She's got it going on. But she was raised, uh, her house she, my mom was born in the 30s, and she had a an outhouse and no hot running water in the house, a wood stove, and they didn't live out in the out in Wyoming. I mean, they were close to the town of Van Wert, Ohio, but it was just before electricity and indoor plumbing and almost all Americans lived in that situation, right? Before those things became widely adopted in the Middle West and Europe as well. They had a uh, they had a party when their phone was installed. It was a party line, so it meant that anytime you picked up the phone, there was a good chance that someone within the five mile radius was on the phone already, and you had to say like, "Let me know when you're off." I guess when the phone rang, it would ring with a certain pattern so that you knew yeah. which house, which is charming. Yeah, that I guess charming. we're now we're getting back to it now that the ringtones are bringing back. Uh... Ringtone's the hip new thing, apparently, to me. <laughs> so it's a different sound, depending on who's calling or who it's for. Yeah, one of the guys in my band, uh, Eric, the bass player, got the sound of David Lee Roth. He, it was the soloed vocals of David Lee Roth on Hot for Teacher or something, where he was just going, yeah, and he, that was his ringtone. <laughs> and then another guy in my band liked it so much that he got it as his ringtone, and it became a like a big fight between these two guys in the van because Eric was like, that's my ringtone, dude. I like, I like went and found it and it's mine. Like you can't just take my ringtone. It's like wearing the same jacket. It is like, kind of like getting a, giving a, getting somebody else's tattoo or something. Yeah. And then the other guy, uh, Jonathan, the guitar player was like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. It's a great ringtone. I love the idea of isolated vocals as ringtones. I can't believe <laughs> that didn't catch on. Yeah. Well, I mean, go do it. So no, I can't. It's still possible. Uh, did your, so did your mom just listen to other people's phone calls? Oh, you know, this is Ohio in the forties. I think people were pretty careful about listening in on other people's conversations. You know, gossip played a, probably a major role in their social worlds, but she would never cop. People to it. must've listened 
all the time. I'm sure they did. I'm on a party line. But I think when you picked up the phone, it would make a click and and the other people would say, is there someone on the line? I mean, it was not... You- yeah, but your mom's smart. She's not going to be like, no. <gasps> <sighs> Breathing heavy. But she grew up as a, as a farm girl, right? She has a lot of stories about what it was like to be on a farm in a, in a way that maybe now in the United States has mostly passed into the, the fog of history. We created a, an industry to do that for us. Yeah, that's right. A but- small group of people does awful efficient farming for all of us now, so we don't have to. But also the kind of frontier lifestyle that the post-war technology wave mostly did away with. You know, she she would, in the winter, they would take their wet clothes out and hang them to dry on clotheslines. And what drying meant was they would freeze and then they would go out and hit the frozen clothes with with bats and break the ice off of them. And you do that a couple of times and the clothes are dry. You bring them in. So and you can do that to Catholics and uh, that's right and, and Spaniards well, as well. Yeah, Italians and Irish, the two great <laughs> uh, foreign foreign migrations that were ruining America. Uh, but, but yeah, once you see pictures in magazines of other people who have running water and dishwashers and televisions, I mean, eventually, your uh, the the city of Van Wert is going to have to extend the sewers out to your farm that's four miles away, and you're going to join the modern world. And I think what happened was my mom eventually moved to town with her grandparents. Rather than the farm itself being electrified, they just moved closer to town. Is the farm still in the family? So she owned the farm until uh, after her father died. She inherited the farm and they kept it and it was farmed by a tenant farmer who, after farms started getting consolidated and farming became an, an industrial process, there were still, and I think still are, all across America. Yeah. Farmers that are farming multiple farms as a way of, you know, they do the farming and the people that live on the farm are kind of like you were saying, they have jobs in town or they're gentlemen farmers. But one farmer with the aid of tractors and mechanical and, you know, modern farming techniques can farm multiple plots. Are we making our hunter-gatherer audience feel bad? Oh, our hunter our, our gather audience is like, why is all the, why does all this corn taste the same? It, it seems like it's been genetically modified. Uh, this was an era where the the different styles of corn were much richer, but of course they were susceptible to disease. Actually, our hunter gather audience is probably looking back at us and being like, oh yeah, that's like the hundred years in Earth's history where they thought they would try something else besides hunter gathering, <laughs> and it really didn't work. So we kind of had to go back to Plan A. Right now, uh, of course, what? the only the only. Uh, Food animals are cats because uh, everything else was wiped off. So they're eating delicious cats. So when we were talking about bands that were also food, they were like, stray cats. Why aren't they saying stray cats? Yeah, right. So anyway, the farm, our family farm, eventually she sold the farm to the tenant farmer. And he, I think, wisely started offering all these people whose farms he was managing, like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just sell me the farm? Now he's probably a land baron in the area around Van Wert. Owns all these different 40-acre farms. Maybe these guys, all these guys have to have a gimmick, right? Some kind of organic, uh, you know, the way to keep your farm alive. You know, I grow the purple potatoes or... I think a lot of them go organic or try to, but there's quite a period where your farm has to be, where you can't call it organic, but you're still farming organically before the soil has drained out all the chemicals. Oh, is that right? Yeah, your organic certification takes several years, I think. Like the lake that has Buddy Holly and Richie Valens in it? Yeah, it just slowly drains. Everybody comes, gets a cup of it, drinks a little Buddy Holly, gets on with their lives. So mom has a lot of stories about growing up on a farm. And Is is one of these stories, John, relevant to the uh, alleged topic of this entry? You could say. I think the general's set of stories. Do you want to tell six unrelated ones before you get to that one? I think that's my general way. Yeah. But the stories are, they all communicate a a kind of unsentimentality about nature and animals and life. This is also from an era, still the last vestiges of a time when people had 15 kids with the expectation that five would die. So even human life. There was a there was a much more sanguine attitude about about how sacred life is and how to what degree animals are here to serve us as opposed to being their own sentient and 
soul-filled beings. I mean, to a degree, we still have to have that kind of matter-of-fact attitude every time we eat a bologna sandwich because right. you do not want to picture, you know, what what happened to the, the pig the gently pig nuzzling its children and to make it singing its pig songs. Possible, yeah. but but I assume this is not akin to the kind of um, the the numbness uh, a soldier gets amid the horrors of war, where you know he has to he or she has to kind of dehumanize what's going on or they literally wouldn't be able to process it. If, if you're just, you know, slaughtering cows and pigs and chickens to make a living, you, well, I you, think, you can't consider them uh, sold or life in any way, right? Well, no, I think you can. It's just that, uh, that what we have now, or a lot of us, middle-class people now, have so many layers of safety net yeah, we have the luxury of not thinking about it. Yeah, so we don't. We're not even conscious of how far we we would have to fall in order to be at risk of starvation, right? Anyone listening to this program, anyone who's consuming podcasts as a form of entertainment, is probably not on the verge of starving every <laughs> what if, winter. What if future humans have evolved <laughs> to get caloric content from podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> They're just soaking it up, just like a, a form of. I'm very sorry you chose the two white guys chatting one. This yeah. is the the unnourishing wonder bread of podcasts. They're delicious. They're photosynthesizing, except it's podcasts instead a, of a, any little factual nugget that comes their way or memorable driveway moment. They get a little, yeah, a little, um, a little cl- surge chlorophyll, like, like you know, you and I eating a bowl full of M and M's. What's well, the big question about the movie, The Matrix? Like, how exactly is it energy efficient for those? Right. Uh, robots to keep feeding human beings in order to get what exactly from Are, them? You're pretending that the human body is a more efficient pro- <laughs> producer of heat and electricity than like any, like any machine, fossil fuel yeah. or, or solar or weird conceit. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout but for instance like when you talk about a cat or a dog pets you know, my mom said, uh, you know, they had 40 cats on the farm and none of them had names and they wouldn't let you pet them. They were there to do a job. They were there to eat, kill rats. Get the rats out of the silo. Yeah. And the dogs, I mean, maybe one of them had a name, but there were dogs and they were there for, for various things. He'd never let them in the house. So she has that kind of lack of sentimentality because it was a working farm and things that were there were there to work. There was no such thing as a dog that you just fed cookies and thought was your soulmate and took on airplanes. They were dog, I, dogs had jobs. I'm just saying once you domesticate animals, the normal situation, it would be to think of them as tools. You, no. The opposite? Yeah. Well, see, I think that's a modern. I'm saying. That's a modern mental state. But it's but it's because the previous generations had to think of them the other way, or they would not survive the winter. Right, and I think now the reason that we cleave these animals unto our bosom is um, we don't have real work to do, and also <laughs> plenty of spare time. Also, we're very alone. We no longer have twelve children or <laughs> big families all living in one house. And we, and we have the technology to look at videos of cute animals being cute with their big eyes all day long. Right. I mean, I think if you were sitting and struggling to put food on the table, putting food, delicious kibble that you home cooked on your cat's plate would be the last thing you thought of. 
Uh, but my mom has a, has a story that she loved to tell when I was little, because whenever it would be Thanksgiving and it would be time to clean a turkey or whenever it's time to process a, a chicken carcass in some way, shape or form, uh, in our house, my mom just dives into it with a kind of familiarity that like a Fiat mechanic would have <laughs> in rebuilding a, a carburetor. Poultry in motion. She just does not have any of what, what, what's you know, my modern squeamishness about dealing with a dead animal. Uh, if you put it like a dead thing in front of me and said, process this into usable food, I probably would, I could work at it and figure it out and do it, but I would, that would not be my milieu, right? I would, I would be much more likely to say, is there an opportunity to write a poem about this rather than like, what if I write a song about it while you guys cut it up and put it on the, on the grill? Yeah, I would not want to see a movie of the times I found a dead rat or bird somewhere. Right. And the, all the kinds of, the many layers I needed to of, get that somewhere where I didn't have to look at it right, anymore. tiptoeing away from it and hoping it would, a bird would get it. Uh, but she told a story that, um, because she lived in a time when grandpa would go pick a chicken and chop its head off on a stump and that would be the chicken they ate Did, did she ever have to do it? Was it, was it ever like, uh. Well, it was a division of labor thing. Grandpa cut the chicken's head off and then she and grandma would defeather it and, you know. Clean it. Clean it and cook it. Uh, so it's sort of a typical farm, everybody had a job type of relationship to things. But grandpa sometimes would have to kill chickens in the basement because of some reason. I don't remember what it was. And she said that she and her brother used to go down and find a place in the basement to hide. Grandpa would cut the head off the chicken and then the chicken's body would run around spurting blood out of its neck until it ran out of blood and then it would plop down. And she and her brother would laugh and giggle with glee at the, this horrific sight of the automatic chicken. Really, really all the wings going, the feet going, moving in every direction. Like it was like uh, someone had set off some fireworks, right? They weren't sure if they were going to get splattered with blood. That was part of the fun. My grandparents would actually use it as a, a metaphor. They would say, oh, he's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's even a Stephen Merritt lyric, I think. Um, a common phrase. I, I mean, futurelings may not talk that way because it may be seen as disrespectful to the chicken gods. But we said chicken with the head cut off all the time for anything that was kind of spazzing out. Now, if you cut the head off a human, and we've talked about this before, the head will stay conscious for a few seconds. Like there's this, uh, there's a, a wonderful story that's probably not true about the French scientist Antoine Lavoisier saying, when I get guillotined, I'm going to blink as many times as I can so you guys can tell. How long consciousness lasts? How many times did he blink? Uh, the story is not true, right. so it's irrelevant. Right. He wasn't beheaded. He lived to a ripe old age. He's still alive. <laughs> I, I am Antoine Lavoisier. That's the twist ending. Uh, but uh, I've never heard of a head getting cut off and then the human body getting up and running around the scaffolding until it got tuckered out. So something anatomically is different between mammals and birds. So things about, uh, like, if you cut the head off of a turtle... It's the, a pretty big if, John. Uh, no, it happens all the time. Turtle heads are a delicious, a delicious delicacy in most of the world. A lot of the times I've told somebody I've done it, but it's a prank. The head's in the shell. I can't believe that you've never had turtle head soup. Mmm. Mm. That's another band named for uh, food, turtles. There it is. Turtles will continue to swim after their heads are cut off. For years. For years. That's right. In fact, all living turtles now used to have really long heads, really long necks, and the short turtle head is Every just turtle, the neck. after you cut off its head, will swim the English Channel, no matter where you're standing on Earth. What happens is that there are chickens and turtles, a lot of animals have reflexive behaviors that are just kind of encoded into their brainstem. Because a chicken doesn't have that much to do, a lot of its walking and scratching and pecking behaviors are located kind of further down the nervous system. They're not conscious. They're, they're in the same category of behaviors as breathing and heartbeat. heart beating. And turtles, for instance, like the swimming motion is something that a turtle does throughout its life. It does from the moment it's born. It's not a learned behavior. It's an automatic behavior. And there are fewer of those I mean, in the human body. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that the evolutionary advantage is to have fewer of those, weirdly. Because yeah. we, since we don't 
have a lot of that. No, a human baby comes out and can barely do anything. I mean, you have to manually roll the baby over so it doesn't choke to death. Uh, not me. I just skittered up a tree <laughs> immediately after my birth. No, but there are animals that can do that kind of stuff sure. when they're born. A giraffe stands up immediately and starts and, to and go. And skitters up a tree. So some of these behaviors are are much more... Um, much more rote in those animals. And so you can behead them and what you, depending on where the cut happens, if enough of the lower brain is retained, it can continue to perform those functions. We have that lower brain as well. We have a limbic system and a cerebellum. It's just that our cerebral cortex, the stuff that we use for everything good, got bigger and bigger and bigger in a way that right. chickens and turtles did not. So it's why a human being can be brain dead, effectively brain dead, but lay in bed in a coma state for years, continuing to breathe at heartbeat, continuing to digest food. But not swim, crucially. But not swim or blink or send signals or grip your hand and tell you they love you. I wonder why we lost that. I wonder if it was just a trade-off with something else, you know, an evolutionary trait that goes away because the brain directed resources to higher level stuff. What are things that human beings do as a matter of rote? Uh, what, what, what other thing that your limb does? I mean, your limbs. That you, you would just think that the running and swimming stuff would be good to have lower down. Why do I have to learn that? Well, because a turtle, all it does is swim. Whereas a human. I can decide not to swim. That's right. You can decide not to run or play the violin. I had to learn to swim and it was bull. I didn't yeah. like it. Like, uh, but my dog can just, you know, my dog can just swim. I'm not a very good swimmer either, frankly. No. So that's, I think that's kind of why, why I have this turtle jealousy. Yeah. I, I, I suppose it was diversification of, of responsibilities. You know, there were, there were hunters, there were gatherers, there were guards and cooks and. I guess less, less need to do it to survive. So it went away as a vestigial thing. And maybe just the fact that there's virtue in being able to not do a thing. If you think about well. primates, their ability, primate babies are able to cling to their mothers, even though they don't have a lot of talent. There are certain things that they can do, but little human babies can't even cling to their mothers. They you do have to have, teach them how to breastfeed, the dummies. They do have the thing where if you put pressure on their on a baby's palm, it will squeeze, and right. it's a vestige of the old monkey-grabbing branch thing. But yeah, not, not good enough to do any good. If you show a baby a face, the baby will smile. If you put a, a $1 bill in a swimming pool on a fish hook, the baby will swim after it. Will swim it. after it, that's right, with its tongue out. Uh, only male babies will do that. If you ask a baby whether a business decision is correct or not, the baby will give you a prophetic answer. If there are two babies at a crossroads, one of which always tells the truth and one of which always lies, how do you find out which way to go? <laughs> right. Um, but chickens have a unique uh, physiological difference, which is that because they have such big eyes and such weird skulls, their skulls actually are kind of built at an angle where their brain is sort of pushed high up into the skull where the brain isn't sort of laying level or flat like we would think of our, our brains doing, but the brain is at an angle. It's tall. Yeah, they're, they have pointy little heads and big, big eyes. So the skull has a large openings for its eyeballs and the brain has to fit in there somewhere. Eyes play an important role in the chicken's life. Sure. It's, that's, that's, it learns by seeing, not by hearing. That's how it avoids the fox and right. the hobo and the... Um, um, your the axe. The, uh, yeah, the yeah. grandpa with a hatchet. Gra Grandpa's axe. And so there are instances where a chicken has faced the axe and the axe has cleaved the chicken Cloven. asunder, cloved the, the chicken's head from its neck in such a way that enough of the chicken's brain was retained by the body that the chicken could perform chicken-like behaviors for a short period before it died. But in the case of our, this episode's namesake, Mike the Headless Chicken. Our titular headless chicken. Who lived, Mike the Headless Chicken was born in 1945. Ah, uh, uh, baby boomer. April of 45. So right before a victory in Europe day. So uh, Mike was born during the war. The war was, we, Hitler was still alive, let's say. And that's, uh, that's the main question I always have uh, about poultry. Now, could this chicken, my main question, my, could this chicken have met Hitler? And right. the woman's always like, sir, this is a Popeye's, please order. Mm -hmm. 
This chicken is six months old. Mike was born in the United States. Uh, Mike is not a chicken, but a rooster. Yeah. Why is Mike the headless chicken, uh, uh, you know, mispronounced here? It should be Mike the headless rooster. I'm not sure. Mike the headless chicken just, just runs off the tongue, I guess. Mike the headless rooster sounds just as good. Headless chicken does sound better. Yeah, it does. Mike was born uh, on a farm and typically – and a farm in Colorado in a town called Fruta, Colorado. Fruta? I speculate that it is called Fruta because they grow fruit there. Huh. It's in western Colorado, kind of Grand Junction, sort of close to Utah, that part of Colorado. Yeah, you know what Utah's called that? They used to grow utes. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're still, they still grow utes there. Oh, boy, we're going to get letters. Uh, if they'd grown jute there, it would be called Utah, Utah and they could make underwear out of it. So Mike just lived a normal rooster life for the first uh, several months of his life. And, you know, a lot of the- What would that be? A lot of the roosters- Impregnating hens? No, 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 no. Too young for that. He was just pecking, eating worms in the dirt. Uh, Cocking his head at a a, a rakish angle? Trying to learn how to cock-a-doodle-doo because that is something that they have to kind of learn. Oh, roosters, young roosters don't crow. They have to kind of get get their song on. My, uh, my, on my grandparents' farm, I used to love hearing the rooster crow, like unironically, I would love it. And they do it all day, of course. Yeah, they it's do. not They're just idiots. But then the neighbors got peacocks. And I don't know if oh, you've ever they heard. scream they like just, they're being murdered. They act, it sounds like a woman screaming. It's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. So don't get a peacock. No, I mean, they were, peacocks were fashionable animals for rich people to have during the uh, fin de Sacal era. It's not clear to me why these people bought one in the mid 80s, though. They they, they didn't have it wandering their lot like Versailles. They just had it in with the chickens. Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't like a Scarface thing where they were like, I own the world. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's probably not likely. Yes. It was the the Scarface (laughs) of Lane County, Oregon. (laughs) Or a a Dirk Diggler thing where some, uh, like a little boy is just setting fireworks off in your house. What was it? Some exotic thing like the fad for emus or llama? Yeah, I think so. There's, I mean, it's not like a peacock performs a function. Maybe they just loved uh, NBC's must-see sitcom oh. lineup, and they were like, as a fan of Family Ties, I'm gonna buy this peacock. <laughs> and they were trying to train it to go bong bong bong, but instead it just went ah every Ouch. morning. <laughs> um, no, a, a rooster. So. I think on a farm, you raise hens in order that they lay eggs. Hens can do a job. Roosters, you just let them grow for six months until they're fat, but they're still tender because they haven't spent uh, like nine years out scratching in the dirt. And then you chop off their heads and you eat them in a pot. Uh, You eat them before they have uh, uh, become able to sire chicks. This is true of all... I'm sure that's not the right agricultural... Sire them? Maybe not. Uh, There's probably some poultry-specific word for... Well, a rooster just, yeah, fertilizes, right? Isn't that... We don't really think of like... Oh, although I guess a lot of chicken varieties and uh, are the result of specialized breeding of chickens to make birds with silver feathers and hairy feathers and whatever else. fancier looking... Roosters. So, so there, and in fact, Mike the headless chicken is an example of a kind of a chicken that was a, a fairly recently bred variety. What kind of fancy chicken is Mike? Uh, he's a Wyandotte, uh, which is an American breed of chicken that was a combination of a couple of earlier breeds. I mean, this is what state fairs are all about, right? You bring your your chicken that has a that has a purple comb and and the long whiskers. Mary. Yeah. And then you win the, the 4-H club. I was delighted, was metal. I not, when I found out that Mike the Headless Chicken was American. That was my yeah. first question. You did. What you, is Mike the Headless Chicken's nationality? You did a big fist pump. I was stoked that we had produced a headless chicken. Well, so the summer of 1945 goes by. We've, uh, we've defeated the Nazis. And uh, then in September of that year, because I see everything in terms of World War II. <laughs> Two things happened in 1945. <laughs> the Nazis were defeated and something happened to Killer Mike. In September of, of 45, uh, on the 2nd of September, we defeated the Japanese and World War II was over. And one week later, the Olsen family. Of Fruta. Of Fruta, Colorado, decided they were going to have a chicken dinner. Now, Is I don't, it to celebrate? Now, I do not know if it was a celebratory chicken dinner, but it was one week after the war was over, and Mrs. Olson 
said to her husband, Lloyd, uh, my mother is visiting, go get a chicken and let's have chicken dinner. And Lloyd goes out and grabs a rooster, which uh, he obviously didn't have a huge farm because this rooster was already named Mike. Oh, the, this, this is not a posthumous post-breed no, they didn't, name? No, they didn't name him Mike once he achieved fame. Uh, he went out and grabbed Mike. And I think that's wonderful that, that Lloyd Olson had so few chickens that they had names and that one of them was Mike. Maybe it was all the NATO phonetic <laughs> alphabet. Kilo, right. Lima, uh, Mike. Alpha, bravo. Uh, he grabbed Mike and uh, put him to the, the chopping block. But because his mother-in-law was visiting, he knew that his mother-in-law loved chicken necks. <laughs> it was the part of the chicken that she relished. I love that this is part of the family lore. <laughs> and he said, you know, I'm going to try and chop this chicken's head off in such a way that leaves the longest neck. For, what, a, uh, what a good, dutiful son-in-law. Yeah, he's like, mother-in-law's over. I'm going to give her the treat that she prefers. I hope he calls her mother surname, whatever his wife's mother, name yeah, is. Yeah, mother, mother, uh, mother Olson, mother pretty. So he chops off Mike's head, trying to preserve as long a neck as possible. And Mike hops down and does the normal chicken thing where you've cut off its head and it's going to run around it's for a minute. bleeding and running. But Mike actually jumped down and just behaved like a chicken. <laughs> Started walking around, pecking at the dirt. Well, I can't peck. It doesn't have a beak. Well, tell that to Mike the chicken rooster because he certainly did his pecking motion and his scratching. I have no beak and I must peck. And so Lloyd Olson came in and said, boy, you got to see this. It's not spouting blood all over the place. There's no blood really at all. I just chopped this chicken's head off and it's just walking around. Come see, Henrietta. Bring the chillins. So uh, they decided not to hit Mike again and they're, they're afraid. Yeah. I don't know. Are they worshiping it? No, they were kind of just like, like, ain't that. And again, the, the lack of sentimentality of farm people, they're probably like, huh? Well, what do you know? Ain't never seen that. And the historical record does not speak to whether or not Lloyd Olson just went and grabbed the next rooster and chopped its head off. And that's what they had for dinner or whether they went without dinner or whether they just had delighted. (laughs) They just had, uh, what's, what's N in the NATO alphabet? Uh, November. November. Yeah. They had November. They had November for dinner. So the next day, farmer Olson went out and there was Mike with his head or lack thereof tucked under his wing fast asleep. And Mike woke up and, and rejoined his chicken behaviors. Still no head. And so Lloyd, uh, thought that was pretty great and said, you know, if this chicken wants to keep living, I'm, I'm down. Like I'm, I'm game. And so he's on board with the miracle. He started to feed Mike, uh, with an eyedropper, put the little grain, like ground up grain and, and water down his throat Ah. with an eyedropper. So he's got exposed, exposed esophagus. Yeah. Exposed esophagus. I guess he had one ear and his brain stem and the rest of his little chicken head and face were gone, but it was enough. I think they probably started to protect him from, I mean, the, the, the old wives tale is that a chicken will drown in a hard rain just because it looks up at the rain, trying to figure out what it is. And it's, and it drowns. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually true. That seems like a little bit of a, a fiction. And it seems like that would be harder without eyes. But if a chicken just, has a throat open to the sky, I bet it would be more likely to drown. Anyway, so... Uh, Maybe some kind of flap or fistula developed like uh, like our uh, French uh, voyageur. I think there might have even been a little bit of... Well, I cannot speculate, although I've looked at several pictures of Mike the Headless Chicken. One does avert one's eyes because the decorum of looking down a living creature's throat seems invasive. You don't want to see the cross-section. But at some point, whatever was open must have healed or clotted over. Well, so or Mike would not have survived the night. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start so lloyd after telling several people about this chicken and being met with disbelief actually took the chicken to uh, the local university and sought an explanation this says the University of Utah. Is that true? The University of Utah, right? He had he went across the border. He took a headless chicken across state lines. I hope that's at, illegal. At the time, it was a porous border between Utah and Colorado before <laughs> the wall. <laughs> I wrote much of my first book on the University of Utah campus. I can picture this perfectly. Is that right? Yeah. Can you picture a Lloyd Olson walking across with a headless chicken under so his arm? So I'm picturing myself walking to the library to to look at the microfilm records, and uh, yeah, yeah, I just added a headless chicken. There he is. It's kind of the same, but with uh, with a headless chicken. Yeah. Well, that could be said of almost any situation. <laughs> uh, it would be more or less the same, just add a headless chicken. And fewer kids playing hacky sack, probably, this being the, the mid-40s. The mid-40s, not the mid-90s. Uh, the chicken biologist there at the University of Utah, uh, which was probably a, a whole quarter of the campus at the time. Yeah, it's probably just an right? uh, agricultural school. Uh, they said, well... So the axe missed the, the hindbrain, the medulla, and missed the jugular vein. And there was a clot, a fortuitous blood clot, that kept the bird from bleeding out. And so this nice confluence of a, of, um, a lucky strike and a lucky clot resulted in Mike more or less being a zombie chicken. A zombie chicken. He... If his mother-in-law had liked drumsticks the best, yeah, he would have been dead uh, 70 years now. We would not be talking about Mike the Chicken. It is maybe uh, l- lucky that he's a bird brain because <laughs> the, the way that a chicken's brain sits inside the skull enabled this freak of nature. So uh, Lloyd takes him home, is very proud of him. Because imagine how uneventful farm life is sure, in the 1940s. Sure, in Fruita, Colorado. Something happened. Look at this. Pretty yeah, amazing. Gather around. Uh, and Mike Mike thrives. He he tries to crow. And it's, I, I think, by all accounts, kind of disturbing and maybe disgusting. <laughs> because he just sounds like gurgling. Oh, no. Because... <laughs> Most of the architecture is gone. But the crowing reflex is back far enough in the brain that he keeps trying. That's really interesting. Yeah. So Lloyd eventually starts showing people the chicken and it becomes. And they're all like, dear Lord. No, no, because this is the forties. People are used to seeing gross things. They love seeing gross things. (laughs) The the whole reason you go to the circus or the fair is to see a two-headed calf or a, or a baby in a jar or. It's an era when freakish things are still real curiosities. A little person dressed as the Kaiser. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All kinds of good stuff. Well, that was true even in the 80s. That was a major feature of the movie Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first Lollapalooza had a little person dressed as the Kaiser. <laughs> uh, but also this was during a time when scientific discovery still was happening as a result of mysteries like this. Um Throughout the whole Darwinian period, Darwin was still maybe on the fence about whether or not rapid advances could be made in evolutionary terms by birth defects or by um, mutations. A single mutation. Right. Rather than like a slow, gradual uh, sort of evolutionary process, there was a lot of thought that maybe one like crazy mutation happened and it became, it was so advantageous that everything subsequent. Are you saying they tried to breed Mike to see if he would have headless chicks? No, but they, but it was, it was helpful in understanding kind of, I mean, having never seen this before, it wasn't clear that for instance, crowing was 
a reflex so far back in the brain. Like people are going to get journal articles out of, out of Mike. Right. This is like our earlier omnibus entry, uh, about the man with the, the opening in his gut. Yes. Uh, St. Martin or something. Yeah. Right. St. Martin. So it was both a curiosity and a, and a kind of a, a fascinating oddity. Uh, Lloyd started showing Mike at state fairs and Mike became famous. This is uh, like a disturbing version of uh, Charlotte's Web, <laughs> where, <laughs> where dinner... That's es- some rooster. <laughs> he ain't got no head, where dinner escapes the axe due to a weird uh, a zoological uh, anomaly, and he goes on to win many a blue ribbon. Well, what he started to win was he was uh, at, at one point earning about 4000 bucks a month in 25 cent at a time come see Mike the Headless Chicken uh, they, they put fees. out a, they put out a sign on the highway well i think he was you know it was the it was the late summer <laughs> of 45 and this would be state fair time it's like the last scene of the last scene of fields of dreams where there's just like car <laughs> headlights as far as the eye can see into Fruta, Colorado chop his head off and they will come nearly chop his head off and they will come <laughs> Uh, Lloyd continued to feed him with an eyedropper <laughs> such that during the, during the remaining 18 months that Mike, the headless chicken lived and thrived, he grew from being a two and a half pound bantam rooster ready for the cooking pot to an eight pound behemoth. <laughs> uh, he's like. You know, he's one of these people who get successful and they get very large. Yes, that's right. He's the Orson Wells of headless chickens. <laughs> he was insured at one point for $10,000, that being the value that he had as a celebrity. Sure. He made a, a, a great living for Lloyd and his family. And the, I'm sure the policy covers what happens if his head grows back because that would ruin the whole effect. Yeah, that seems, that, it seems like insurance guys even, <laughs> even trying to cover all their bases. Uh but they uh, they took him on tour, so they took Mike on car trips around the country. And I can you imagine driving in a car with a headless chicken trying to gurgle crow? I mean, I guess you'd develop an affection for it. I mean, it's nice to imagine that they just started to love it like a pet because of this attention they were lavishing. But what if they just thought it was just a godforsaken monstrosity, <laughs> but they just needed the money, and every day they just are trying to hold their nausea at bay as they squeeze. Uh, ground corn into its gaping esophagus like ah when will when will the almighty finally <laughs> kill off this ab- aberration of nature i abhor it i, I feel like from reading lloyd's accounts that he really did like mike the chicken and felt affection for it and i mean i don't know nowadays you see people cuddling chickens and and being very affectionate with them sure um i bring my emotional support yeah. uh chicken to the brewery every Friday night. And cause I'd be the only one there who didn't have one. My mom hated chickens. She still is very prejudiced against them. She thinks that they're dumb and unfriendly and unwise. I think she saw the movie birds, Alfred Hitchcock's birds when she was at an impressionable age. And so just generally doesn't like birds, but chickens were the bird she had the most firsthand experience with. And that was uh, some ice falling off the roof. Chickens were the birds she has the most experience with, and I don't, and she has no love for them. We had budgies when I was a kid, named Aww. Simon, Simon Garfunkel. Aren't those our budgies are cute? So my default bird is like cheap, cheap, amazing. Cheap. I assume all birds are great. Did you let the budgies fly in the house? Yeah, they they kind of flew from curtain rod to yeah. bookshelf and back again. I dated a girl that had budgies, and and they were fun. She had two budgies and a chickadee. Really? And the budgie, chickadee, huh? yeah, and the budgies really, um, really doted on the chickadee. Like, My little chickadee. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, budgies make an awful racket, but yeah. you just you tune it out. They poop all over. They do poop all over. Uh, so eventually, they were in the Olson family were in Phoenix, Arizona, with Mike on tour. Mike's story. And now, is Mike a headlining act at this point? Oh, I think so. <laughs> I think they're making big dollars. And unfortunately, in the night, Mike started to choke on uh, what has variously been described as a piece of grain, although it's unclear how Mike could have gotten this grain. Was it murder? 
I'm not sure in the middle of the night how Mike could have gotten a piece of grain. What if there's some, yeah, some rival showman who's yeah, trying to kill off the, in and the, the headlining act of, of whatever this act would is. Would you like this delicious corn? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, unfortunately, they had left their eyedropper and syringe behind somewhere, and they couldn't clear Mike's throat, and he died. Oh, no. But... Did a nation mourn? A nation mourned. Was Mike on the cover of Life magazine? The town of Fruta, Colorado mourned because Mike was their most famous son. Probably it's not even close. Like there's no second place. Well, at Fruta is famous for, it has two large statues in the town. One of them is of Mike, the headless chicken, although it's kind of a modern art sculpture. But there's another giant sculpture that, greets you as you enter Fruta, which is a kind of inartly built dinosaur, like a big sort of 50s style paper mache dinosaur. it's fossil country. Yeah. So there's a big, I mean, if you've ever been through Fruta, you would notice the dinosaur a long time before you'd notice Mike. Although Mike's statue is five feet tall. So increasing its grotesquerie. I mean, yeah, a five foot chicken essentially is a dinosaur. Sure, right. They're really keeping with the theme. If Mike had been five feet tall, I don't think they would have felt as as gently about him as they did. Well, it would have been very, first of all, very hard to to cut off the head. Hard to drive around in a car with him. Uh, There would have been so much neck anyway, they wouldn't have had to worry. You could have just fed him beer. It would have been like Billy Carter. (laughs) And yeah, definitely a lot harder to feed. I mean, how many eyedroppers is that going to be? No, no, no. You'd have to, you'd have to... uh, I mean, you'd be blending up food for Mike. He'd be like your, he'd be like your you'd precious be little to, cat. You'd be jabbing a turkey baster down yeah. that esophagus six times a day. But Fruta not only erected a statue for Mike, but now every year, the last weekend of May, first weekend of June, has the Mike the Headless Chicken Festival, <laughs> which is a kind of- uh, I love Mike Fest. It's kind of a, like a an opportunity to bring your show chickens- uh, I'm sure they eat a lot of chicken. I've never been to the Headless Chicken Festival, so I don't, I can't really report on how exciting it is. But it sounds like a pretty big deal in that region. There's a 5K run like a headless chicken race. Oh. I see. I'm looking at this Chamber of Commerce and a find Mike's head treasure hunt. Is that's not in very good taste, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh, I think I think Lloyd actually kept the head <gasps> in a jar of formaldehyde. Although I don't, I don't think Mike's head did did all the tours. <laughs> but there are a couple of pictures there's, of him. There's the, your opening act. A couple of pictures of him with the head, like holding it where it belonged on Mike's face. Well, I feel like it could be a magic act if you still have the head, mm. you know, like here's a chicken. And then it's like, <laughs> whoosh, David Copperfield makes the head disappear. It's funny because Mike had, uh, Mike had some long lasting effects. Again, because the suggestion that a chicken could live an otherwise normal, healthy chicken life, it's unclear what chickens are thinking about, what, that they what, need what a, all the rest of their head. <laughs> it's a real blow against ableism, right? You know, that the Mike can still accomplish so much yeah, with, his, right. with his handicap. That's right. Don't get down on a chicken just because it has uh, scant eyebrows. It can do almost everything another chicken can do, which is zero things. It seems like the rest of the chicken's brain and its eyes and beak are all dedicated to feeding itself. And if you are willing to feed a chicken with an eyedropper... Which I totally am. It, you, d- you didn't ask, but I am. It doesn't require any of its brain. And and uh, I suppose, you know, that's true of anything that is held in some kind of suspension if you're, if its sole purpose is to continue to breathe. But of course, you know, somebody like a, like a dog in a coma isn't going to bring people out to the state fair quite like a headless chicken. I think it's serious. But, uh, but in 2012, strangely, an architecture student in the United Kingdom by the name of Andre Ford proposed that Mike the Headless Chicken might give us um, some insight into actually raising a generation of chickens with no forebrain. And why would we, okay, first of all, do we have to breed it out of them or do we just have to do a lobotomy at birth? I think he was speculating that we could eliminate suffering on the part of food source chickens by just 
I, I don't know. It's true that no one should ever watch a video of the modern chicken industry. No. There appears to be no shortage of suffering. But if you could raise chickens with no brains. Sure. Um, maybe, and, and it seems eminently possible given Mike's situation, if you could just eliminate most of the brain of a chicken, maybe you could grow them for food and feel no, no. It's a simple procedure at birth. It's like circumcision. Right. You just cut Except the, you're actually cutting the tip of the brain cut off. Cut the front of the brain off and then they don't feel pain when you, you have raise little, them in cages. You just have a little brain briss and then the chicken's happy yeah. forever. And, uh, brain briss. And, and do you have to feed them all like with an eyedropper? Yes, you would, or you would have to feed them through some sort of matrix uh, style. Oh, he's envisioning a chicken wall? A chicken wall full of full of chickens that just have tubes stuck in them. He was an architecture student, so maybe... It does seem like it might be some kind of more of a provocative yeah, art the, project slash academic joke than an actual agricultural... Uh, he was hoping agricultural to... Right, to be one of the young architects that actually got a job somewhere instead of spending 25 years just doing blueprint work. The headless chicken solution. Also, don't put the word solution, I think. Oh, I in, know. In a thing in like any this. kind of eugenical or biological program. Exactly right. But in our own time, we had our own very recent headless chicken. Wait, uh, really? In, was it the San Diego chicken? It was not. That chicken retains its head. No, I, in, I would kind of like to see the San Diego chicken just get its head taken off by a foul ball by the uh, by by a the, line drive. the philly uh the philly freak <laughs> yeah or uh, what's the what's the new uh oh the awful hockey, the uh, hockey mascot one. that everyone grimly hates? or grimes it's, it's grimes yeah, it's grimes elon musk is married <laughs> to the hold on if i no, google awful name? hockey mascot the Gra number, grouchy the, the number one thing that comes up is grinchy gritty gritty for the flyers uh, no, in March of our own year, or I'm sorry, last year, 2018. So almost one year ago from the time that we we're recording this in Thailand, a chicken appeared on the road, unclear how the chicken lost its head. Just walked out of the jungle. Like Seems that? like it might have been attacked by another animal or in an accident of some kind, but the chicken had just sort of a bloody stump as a head. And was walking around doing its chicken business. Uh, a woman found the chicken and cared for it. Again, sort of eyedropper style. The chicken became a social media phenomenon. But I think more in, in Thailand. It didn't penetrate your meme-based universe. Uh, I don't remember universe, But it was... Maybe Gritty just wiped out all memory. Of, yeah, of that's the right. A year ago, you, there was only one thing you could focus on. Maybe you saw pictures of it and you thought it was Gritty. Uh, but you know, they, it was one of those memes where the little video of the chicken generated 400,000 views in the first hour. But this woman in Thailand felt that the chicken was uh, a curse and an abomination. Not, not, she didn't have like a religious feeling. She just it's felt like, like you, I don't this want is that. gross. I don't want to have to keep this chicken alive. See, that's what I would think if I saw headless chicken. Although she was impressed, right? She said like, this chicken wants to live. And so I feel somewhat obligated to keep it alive. But also I didn't ask for this. I didn't do this. And also, so. Also she was hungry for a delicious chicken Penang curry. No? No, I don't think she wanted. I don't, you know, I think if a chicken was walking around without its head for a while, it would become less appetizing over time. You wouldn't say like, I can't wait to eat this chicken when it dies. <laughs> You'd just be like. You think that's what the Olsons were thinking? Oh boy, this is going to be so good. I don't think so. I think they were did like. Did they bury it? I wonder. That's a good question. Did they bury it in Arizona or did they take it home? <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't taxidermy it. That seems like something you would do in 1947. They got one of those old timey coolers and they bring it home to bury on the farm. Uh, but this chicken in Thailand was adopted by some as you would maybe guess, by some kindly monks. Thank goodness. And the monks said that this chicken wants to live and we are here to be caretakers of it. There's probably some Buddhist sutra that taught them how to act yep. in that situation. Yep, If that's you see right. a headless chicken on the road, do not kill the headless chicken on the road. And that concludes Mike the Headless Chicken. Entry 787.MK0616 Certificate number 21086 in the omnibus. Future listeners, we don't know which brain functions you have evolved out of. Presumably you have implants right in your cerebral cortex that bring the wild world of uh, social media right to you. 
In which case, you were born knowing exactly who John and I are. We are and were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick on all social media platforms. The chip in your head also, I'm sure, knows about at Omnibus Project, um, which was our joint handle on pretty much any social media network you can think of. Uh, We received electronic mail correspondence from uh, interested parties at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. The kind of people who would send us correspondence also liked to uh, interact with each other um, because we didn't reply quickly enough, I guess. So they started a little community of their own called the Facebook Futurelings. So if you type Futurelings into Facebook, you will see them all running around like chickens with their heads cut off, posting pictures of library books and mail trucks and... um, from this point forward, probably headless chickens. Uh, How many of those really will they be able to find to fill up the Facebook page? Pictures of headless chickens. I challenge them. I challenge the Facebook futurelings to <laughs> to find this much a headless third, chicken material. A third headless chicken. <laughs> Maybe they'll just be exchanging Thai chicken recipes. Oh yeah. You know. Right, right. I have to say, when you mentioned an American chicken, I was not hungry. But when you said a Thai chicken, I was mm. like, ooh, boy, you could make that into a mm-hmm, curry. Mm-hmm. You could put that with some some those wide noodles. I had a lot of ideas. You, you, you pictured yourself at Thai Tom after we're done here? I was very immediately hungry for uh, Thai food. and Or, you know, you could make those delicious um, fish sauce chicken wings. Yeah, those are oh, good. Oh, man, you don't need a head to make those. Uh, people could send us physical artifacts in our time or, or handwritten correspondence. And I hope they don't send us any poultry after this episode. But uh, you could mail those to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Future links from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Probably between now and when you're listening to this program, there have been so many headless chickens that lived for decades that this <laughs> seems like a weird entry in the omnibus. Chicken technology has advanced so far. <laughs> you may you may all be headless chickens listening to us with your one remaining ear. In their matrix in their chicken matrix wall. Uh, we hope and free that the catastrophe of you losing your heads will never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording will like All our recordings may be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.